0: Hello, I am your host, Tracy Outsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode 154 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Please subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something not one. And that includes our guest. I am just delighted to introduce you to Dr. Tamara Rosier. Dr. Rosier has been a college administrator, a professor, a leadership consultant, a high school teacher, a national public speaker, and an ADHD coach. Gosh, sounds so ADHD, all these professions. Through those adventures, Dr. Rosier has developed valuable insight into ADHD and how it affects one's life. As founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan, she leads a team of coaches, therapists, and speech pathologists to help individuals, parents, and families develop an understanding and learn effective skills to live with ADHD effectively. Her book, Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADHD just came out. I've read it. It is so readable, relatable, and practical and provides serious strategies for navigating the emotional aspects of ADHD. Tamara, welcome. Did I get all that right?
1: You did. And I so appreciate being here today. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. You know, you have a way of making simple concepts so understandable. But I think what I like the most is that you can literally start at any chapter in your book and it still completely works. So it is so ADHD friendly.
1: <laughs> and I'm Yeah, I wrote I'm, it that way um on purpose because that's how I had to write it, right? Yeah. Like every chapter's different.
0: So, I'm not just saying this because you're a guest here. We are literally adding it to our smart ass book list. It's it's an outstanding oh. book. I Yeah, it's, it's one of, you know, I'm a gusher. So when I really believe in something, I gush. And all the other times where it's just kind of okay. Yeah, I don't say a whole lot. So I want to talk about your book. So that's why we have you here. And I love your butler analogy. I've never heard our brains explained in this manner. Can you explain it to us? Sure.
1: Uh, you know, so I'm going to nerd out just for a second, but I promise I'll come right back to you. Okay. And so if you're listening, just be patient for a second. I'm going to throw out some words, but just be very patient. So if you take your hand and tap on your forehead, that's, pr- that's where your prefrontal cortex is. And that prefrontal cortex is this wonderful modern amenity. It tells us what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And it's like this very calm butler. Tamara, your keys are on the counter. You may want to start packing your things to leave for work right now. You know, it's just this calm, rational... By the way, I watch a lot of BBC. That's where I came up with the butler, right? <laughs> so um, that's it, it's just this calm presence that tells you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. The problem is, as you know... Uh, those of us with ADHD, our butler doesn't quite talk to us. In fact, it sounds more like an angry neighbor just constantly shaking his shoe, screaming at us. And by the way, that's a different part of the brain that's in the limbic center. And so we have an angry neighbor saying, Tamara, right, if you lose those keys one more time, why I oughta," And just screaming at us. And so um, what medication does, it can kind of introduce like a newly trained butler. It's not a great butler. It's not one that we've grown up with, but it's a newer butler and it it can provide some assistance. Um, And then the butler leaves early to go home uh, when our medication wears off. So uh, that's kind of the metaphor that I use. Uh, Again, the prefrontal cortex has nothing to do with IQ. And aren't we grateful for that? It has everything to do with our ability to live in a modern world. So
0: when you're talking about the butler, you talked about, for those of us with ADHD who struggle with executive functions, that we rely on emotion to remember, plan, and act rather than our executive functions. And that was the first time you know, I've heard people dance around it, but that was the first time that I actually heard that it was connected as far as the emotion is how you you remember. And it's so interesting because it right away brought up this... You know, memory for me that in order for me to remember things, I have to literally get into my body first mm-hmm. and connect myself to how I felt in that particular instance to remember what it is that I wanted to remember. Is that what's going on there? Yes.
1: And isn't that freaking exhausting? And so it takes more energy because we're, it's like we're constantly method actors going, What's my motivation? What was my motivation? And we have to kind of go back and trace that and try to, you know, scoop it all up. Mm-hmm. We are exhausted. And by the way, um, I love this podcast because I love that you're talking to women. And I'm sure a couple guys listen too, but you know what? Women in ADHD were expected to have that prefrontal cortex on and ready. And when people see us using our emotional systems to govern us, we get judged and we get judged harshly. So
0: I understand how, and I agree. I totally agree with you. I've just come to the conclusion that's like, I don't care, whatever, judge me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: which is a great place to be, but yeah. I've worked with so many women who, who are aren't just there. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it.
0: So. I understand how we rely on emotion to remember. How do we rely on emotion to plan? Oh, okay. Acting I get, right? Is it now or not now? When am I going to feel like it? But what about planning?
1: Is that the same thing? Yeah. um, Planning. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I love, I hear this from my clients a lot. Um, You know, they're like, oh, hey, I'm using this new thing. It's called a calendar. I'm like, super glad you discovered that. And then they're like, yeah, I have everything planned out. And then they get to the day and they're like, I don't feel like doing this now. And or they hate to make plans because they don't know how they're going to feel. And, and so our feelings are actually providing us fuel for our motivations. I know. That's why when people take ADHD lightly, it's, it's a huge mistake. We can get to the same place. It just takes us a lot longer to get there sometimes. So we can, however,
0: um, work on our executive functions, right? We can build those skills. How do we do that though? How does that then connect with the emotion?
1: Okay. So I'm glad you asked this question. This is really a hot topic for me personally. Ah, um, so I'm just going to be very honest. My pet peeve is when we work with AD, those with ADHD and we start with executive function. And that's just not going to work for us. And so, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so here's an example. Transitions are very bad. For everyone with ADHD, we just really stink at, at transitions. And transitions are everything in life, Right. Sunday to Monday, morning to night, stopping one task to pick up another. And so, because we're so bad at that, we tend to need emotions for that push. And so, a lot of people will say, Well, let's just start with, you know, what's your strategy to do this transition? And I would be serious, like, I used to coach like that back in the day until I realized I first have to say, What emotions do you have around this transition? Well, I'm dreading Monday. Well, let's deal with that dread first and then make a strategy. Because the emotions will always trump the strategy. And
0: so if we're not in positive emotion, we can't get anything done, right? So is that the goal, to get them into positive emotion first? Well, technically,
1: uh, we can do things out of negative emotion. Too. Well, fear, so, but I mean,
0: I'm talking like long term. That's not good, yeah. right? <laughs> no, no, it's not good. Um, I, I
1: passed a whole statistics class out of spite. <laughs> so, I, you know, with the negative emotions, if they're strong enough. So, it, it's really about the intensity of the emotion. And that's what's exhausting for us. If we're always running this intensity, like I need this intensity to make this transition. That's exhausting to us, and so sometimes what I take my clients through is: let's let's just name this cloud of emotions that are, is surrounding you right now. Let's just kind of just name some emotions. And they're like, here's this, 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 this. Okay, now can we can we see those? Accept that they're there. If those are there, what could, can we still have a strategy? And it's that cognitive work connecting, oh, yeah, so I am angry that I have to clean the garage tomorrow. But you know what? I can still make this plan to do this.
0: Did that make sense to you? So are you saying that just by virtue of, you know, how they say name it to tame it, by naming it, you've made it real? Okay. So then, then walk me through the next step. So you've named it. And so why yeah. does that then make it easier to do the job that you don't want to do or the task that you don't want to do?
1: Right. So, uh, what I'm talking about is, you know, how I said the prefrontal cortex is, you know, behind your forehead, we actually start with this whole emotional process somewhere in our limbic center. And our limbic center is in charge of fight, flight, or freeze. And so You know, it's kind of concocting this emotion. And we're used to, especially people who are unmedicated, are used to, well, I will wait until the intensity of my emotion is so great. Then I'll transition or then I'll do this. Right. And so that is what's wearing us out. Um, It's not having the emotion. It's the intensity of it. So the first step is I have them name it. Then I have to. Then I say, so how strongly are you feeling this? Well, Tamara, I just don't want to clean the garage because I'm so sick of my wife doing this. And, and you hear the whole intensity. Well, is there a way we could bring down that intensity at all? Um, as long as people are at a high intensity emotionally, they're not going to be able to think practically. Um, I use a metaphor of a swimming pool. so the the swimming pool is a pool for or is the metaphor for deep emotions. And when we have ADHD, we don't have a lifeguard on duty. we accidentally fall in our emotional pool all the time. And so we can't really do things when we're in the pool because we're just flailing around and doing whatever we're doing in the pool. So we first need to realize we're in the pool. Swim to the side of the pool, get out of the pool, and then we can be pragmatic and make steps to what we want to do.
0: So, what you're doing, it sounds like. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yep. Um, or tell me if I'm right. How about that? Okay. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> you, what you're doing by by going through all these steps is you are just trying to reduce the anxiety, which decreases the resistance. So it's less difficult to start. Am I getting that right?
1: Yes. Um, Actually, uh, we're shifting it out of the limbic system. And especially if someone can visualize the pool metaphor, they're shifting it out of that system into a place right behind the prefrontal cortex, where our imagination is and our reflective thinking. We're really good at this part. Um, In fact, we like it. Um, And so we can begin to plan once we shift into a different part of our brain. But as long as we're stuck in the limbic center, flailing around in that pool, we really can't get a lot done.
0: That is such a good description. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So you talk about big emotions and ADHD. When I've seen really big emotion, it's usually been connected to trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And ADHD or just trauma? Is this something different that you're talking about when you talk about big emotion?
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, trauma um, is a complicating factor, but let's—I I work with people with no history of trauma. Um, but remember, for those of us with ADHD, even without a history of trauma, our brains are registering things all the time as threats things that aren't even real trauma. And I don't, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I, our brain gets confused between a big deal and a small deal. When I work with kids, I ask them, is this a big deal bucket thing? I have two buckets in my office. Is this a big deal bucket or should we put in the small deal bucket? What What bucket does this go into? And so our brains are bad at sorting that out. And because we're in that kind of, everything feels like a threat, we respond to everything like it, it is a, a threat. And so that's where the big emotions, and that's why treating people with trauma and ADHD is a very complicated process because we have these big emotions. Now, to be clear, everyone has emotions. We're using these big emotions to lead us and to guide us through the world.
0: Okay. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand what you just said. So okay. I think that what you're telling me is that obviously everybody has emotion. When you have ADHD, we struggle to tell the difference between should we really be blowing up about this because it's really nothing <laughs> versus is this a really big deal? Exactly. Yeah. And so when you add trauma into the mix, it gets even worse. Is that what you're saying? That we, we really can't tell the difference at all?
1: It it yeah, and that's um, and that's the heartache of uh, especially like ADHD folks who have uh, who are working through PTSD. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to separate the two that you really can't. But even without trauma, we're using, you know, in, because we don't have the butler, we're using the angry neighbor to yell at us. And that's how I know to get something done. So I know to start on my paper for law school when the angry neighbor is saying, Listen, your roommate just did it, you stupid idiot. You should have been done too. And then I say, Oh, angry neighbor, that's a good point. I should start on it right now.
0: Okay. So you're beating yourself up to get the work done, but it really doesn't serve you because it's all fear and amygdala and cortisol and all that is, is bad, right?
1: It's bad for our bodies, our brains, everything. That's the problem though. It works enough Mm -hmm. that my clients really don't want to give those up. Um, they're like, well, if I have, if I don't have my anxiety, how will I know how to get out of bed in the morning? And so my clients are really cautious and they really don't want to give up those easy ways of motivating themselves, even though they're incredibly costly. Okay.
0: I want to ask you a question. So I'm going to out myself. When I think of big emotion, I kind of, I think I probably keep things in boxes pretty easily. (laughs) And that's how I've navigated through life. But there are certain things that, and I don't even know why, you know, certain things that will happen and I, they will literally just ruin my whole weekend. Yeah. And it's, it's usually something that I can, I have no control over. Like I remember, and this might've been postpartum, but I remember when my son was first born, I, um, I found out that um, the preschool that my daughter went to, there was a family there that they had lost uh, their mother. And so the woman that was bringing them in was kind of, you know, a nanny and I was just besides myself. I had mm-hmm. to figure out a way to help this family. I, you know, to the point of like, I was being weird, right? <laughs> like all of it, this happened three years ago or four years ago. And all of a sudden I'm in there feeling like I, I've got to help. And I remember being so upset by knowing what had happened to this family. And I listened to myself talk about it today. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, why was I, so, why was there so much emotion around that? Um. So that's my question. Yeah. I've, I've I, always wondered.
1: Well, so here, here's what I think. Um, and by the way, uh, <laughs> right after childbirth is such a sensitive time for me yeah. too. Um, I remember reading an article. So my oldest is 29 years old. So this is old, right? But I remember reading an article about a mother and a daughter in a car accident mother died the daughter climbed on the mother to keep warm throughout the night and survived and i was heartbroken gosh and i and i'm not gonna lie i still think and pray for that girl i don't know who she is but it just hurt me to the core and so i i really respect how you're how you were feeling so here's what happens like in most of our thinking, our thinking tends to be um, nothing or extreme. Right. In the book, I talk about, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's a one or it's a 10. And so our problem is our, our empathy, our ability to feel with another is, goes, is either one or 10. Wow. And so you, your empathy switch is stuck on And you had a lot of great birth hormones there, right? Oxytocin's a powerful, powerful thing. And so the empathy is stuck on. You have big emotions. You've loved this child with all your life. And and all of a sudden you're realizing this, these people don't have this option. And, And it carried you. And so that is a great example of big emotions. We are people who feel too much. And it is really a difficult road we walk sometimes. But we
0: also, I think, Tamara, you tell me if you agree with me, and I think you do, because you say one versus 10. There are times when I'm like, why don't I, like I, okay, and I'm outing myself again, which is probably <laughs> is not a good one. Love but it. With the 9-11. Yeah. Like people were just devastated. And yeah. of course, I felt like, oh my God, if that was my family member, like I got all that. But I didn't have that visceral reaction that it seemed like most of the population did. But then something that's, that's one child can just completely flipped me out (laughs) one time. I found out that a parent had, you know, a couple had a foster child and somehow the foster child and, and the child had the most lovely life. That's really the only parents they knew. Well, they got placed, that foster child got placed back in that home and the boyfriend ended up killing that foster (gasps) child. I was calling CNN. I was calling the report. You know, at that time we called. I was trying to find the reporter. I was just trying to find that family, trying to help. Of course, no one got back to me, but literally a whole week I spent on that. So again, that's like the one or the 10, right?
1: And and you hear the difference. One is I tend, okay, so, you know, I love your vulnerability because I'm going to out myself. I tend to have less empathy for groups more empathy for individuals. And that's kind of how ADHD people tend to run. Because if I know someone and I can see them, I can easily put myself in their shoes. That's one person. But if it's a group, I'm not sure I can understand how the group thinks. So I don't know what their problem is, but I'm just going to move on. And so um, I, I call it ADHD logic. There's a lot of little things like that, that we do, that I could, that really just kind of falls in the category of ADHD logic.
0: So interesting. You know, all along I've been in the back of my head thinking, well, maybe I'm a little bit on the spectrum, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my emotions all. We all up. think this, by the oh, way. Okay, I got <laughs> it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Oh, I, I, and, and remember, I mean, we do uh, either my clients wonder if they're on the spectrum or if they're bi, if they're bipolar, uh, you know, I get a lot of clients saying, you know, do I have early dementia? Like we wonder, and, and remember, we have these brilliant minds and we're gifted divergent thinkers, but that power of imagination screws with us because we could easily go, well, you know. I do have these symptoms and we just pop down those rabbit holes. And then, and then we're like, Oh, maybe I do. And I'm not saying that there's, you know, there are comorbidities, but many times my clients are asking, I'm like, no, this really falls squarely in ADHD. It's our all or nothing thinking. So interesting.
0: Okay. So you brought up divergent thinking. We have these divergent brains. We see all the options all at the same time, and then we don't know which one we should act on. You spend a lot of time in your book going into the pitfalls of divergence, Um, and I think I'm guilty of all of them, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first time that I've seen such an in-depth discussion on convergent actions versus divergent actions. I really love how you simplified this concept around basically getting into action, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what made you decide to write about this?
1: So, (laughs) well, as a divergent thinker myself, Uh uh, I kept noticing, I kept falling into certain habits. And so let me first just kind of back up and I'll just quickly define divergent and convergent. Um, Divergent is the ability think in one, to take one idea and blow it up into 5 million possibilities. And we are so good at that. But the opposite is convergent thinking. And convergent thinking is sequential and linear. So is that clear enough? It's totally clear.
0: I I just loved, I've never heard anybody, you know, as you're talking in your book, it's kind of like, no, stop. You need, to be, you need to think convergently now. I mean, it's just so clear, like, duh. Right. Know, even if it's just for 10 minutes, it made so much sense. But
1: yes, it does. Okay, so, so convergent, if we we're driving a car, divergent thinking is like putting your foot on the gas and converg- convergent is like putting it on the brake. And those of us with ADHD, either we love the gas pedal or we try to do both at once. And you know I know that's cool in hot rod scenes, but that's not really how you drive a car, so you have to choose one or the other um the gas pedal or the brake and so I wanted to write about this because i I really hadn't heard anyone else talking about you know let's train our thinking patterns let's let's realize, oh, I'm still in divergent, I have to move to convergent now, and so um. yeah, I I just hadn't heard anyone talk about it. And it, it just is a huge problem for me and my clients. It's so concrete that there's just
0: something about the way you describe it, that my brain can say, okay, I'm divergent (laughs) right now. I need to move over to convergent. You know, it's just, it's a simple switch actually. For me, I don't know if it'll be for everybody, but it's, I love the gas and the brake analogy. It's great. I love it.
1: I I, I love that it, it feels simple for you because it, that's been my experience with many clients. You know, and I'll still have to prompt them and say, hey, remember, you're still in Divergent. Maybe you need to switch. Um, I get texts from my clients and they're like, ah, oh, too many rabbit holes. And I say, well, what would it look like for you to be in convergent right now? And one of my clients just sent a meme back, like, (laughs) touche. And so we just have to be reminded to go into the convergent.
0: And I think that's at least how my ADHD brain works, that if you can make the line really short and concrete, right, I can see it, I can feel it, I can know it. And so it makes sense. Are you in convergent or are you in divergent? And what would be best? What would serve you best right now to be in? So I know that is one that I will absolutely use. Okay, so (laughs) we have to talk about Monster Spray. So (laughs) I don't know, sometime this year, I think at the beginning of the year, I was talking to Ned Hallowell um, about the fact that when I went to a sleepover, I think it was like in third grade or fourth grade, my friends were all talking... (laughs) This is so ridiculous. They were all talking about someone named Mary Weather. Ah! Do you remember this? (laughs) So apparently, and I don't even know if I have the story right, but this is how it is in my brain. If you look in the mirror at night and it's dark and there's no lights and you say Mary Weather, she's going to show up and I think she's going to cut your head off and then hold it in the mirror or something like that. So ever since that stupid incident, (laughs) I literally (laughs) cannot close my eyes to wash my face in the evening. And I was telling him this story and he just, you know, off the cuff, it's like, oh, that's your default mode network, you know, where your imagination lives and all that. And I'm like, really? That's part of ADHD? And so I've been thinking about it. But what I realized when I was reading the chapter on monster spray is that, yes, I hate to go to bed at night. Because I feel like it's a waste of life. I have, <laughs> I'm one of those people that has too much energy, right? I, right. I just want to cram and eke every little, little tidbit out of the day. Yep. But reading your book, I also realized that I hate to go to bed at night because it is the one time that I really have to be alone with my thoughts. Yes. And what's even worse is, I hate when I have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because then it's really bad. I literally have to make a concerted effort to entertain my imagination so I don't think about the fact that, oh my God, I might get murdered or, you know, all these things. My my kids may get murdered, my husband, all of this stuff, or he may have a heart attack. So (laughs) I know that I have an overactive imagination. I didn't know that until, you know, Ned made the comment about, oh, it's your default mode network. And it sounds so silly. But I think it's the first time that I've actually connected this to my anxiety. And it was your your monster spray chapter that that really did it. You know, I have had anxiety about losing my mom since I was a little kid. I was just telling the story that I was in second grade and I basically, I just got all this anxiety about my mom. And so I went to the school nurse and I told her that I'm really, really sick. I have to go home because I needed to see my mom. And I remember she picked me up. We went out to lunch. She knew I wasn't sick. But I was just so worried about that. And since then, you know, it's about my husband. Something's going to happen to him. And then once I had kids, it's about my kids. But I never connected that to my ADHD brain. I just, I kind of thought everyone thought this way.
1: I did too. So I, I and I know exactly those kind of slumber party scare tactics because they're alive and well in my brain. And yeah. I was laughing because I'm like, oh yeah, I've been to that party. And where you're like, everyone else is asleep. You're like, great. I'm not sleeping for the rest of my life now. I, and I don't watch scary movies for that reason, right? At all. No.
0: I can't do, I can't even watch an Oscar. Like any movie that's won an Oscar, I basically can't watch.
1: <laughs> you know what? We need to hang out because same here. I have the same criteria. Um, oh, so sad. And it's not because I lack the emotional depth to watch it. Right. It's because it will wound me. Yes. Um, because I, Schindler's List. Um, It's one of the fantastic movies. I've never watched it. I taught Holocaust literature when I was a high school teacher. And I gave extra credit to people for watching it. But I knew my limits. That if I put those visual things in my head, it would stay there forever and be haunting. And I already, my heart aches over the Holocaust already. And so it's not that I'm trying to insulate myself. I I do need to protect myself um, from a lot of those things. So, um, yeah, I write about in the book that your divergent thinking combines with anxiety and creates all kinds of melodrama. So So can I ask you? Yeah. We hear statistics. 60%
0: 60% of people with ADHD or 40 to 60% struggle with anxiety. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever met anyone with ADHD who didn't have some level of anxiety. Isn't that just what divergent thinking produces? <laughs> so,
1: yes and no. So, okay. It's how much people want to use it. So, I would say all people with ADHD use like it's a drug, right? Anxiety except for one group and they have low tolerance for any anxiety in their lives. And they'll almost look lethargic in how in that. And I can even see this in some students because their eyelids will drop a little bit. It's almost like um, there's a breaker switch. Anytime you introduce any anxiety, which the parent usually is trying to do in that case, going, hurry up, turn into your assignment. And the child reads, rejects it because i and what they're really saying is i can't turn on my brain this way because this this is too much for me and so yes for the majority of us we, we go swimming in that anxiety pool right <laughs> we're doing the backstroke and you know i'm just going to be honest for the first 30 years of my life i thought that's just how i would get through life by scaring myself out of bed, in um, between thirty and forty, I just did it. Like, yeah, this is what I need to do. Forty and fifty, my body's like, hey, guess what? You're writing checks your body can't cash. Yeah, and so unless you want me to go on strike, you're going to work this out, and that's the cost of anxiety, right? So. I usually don't see them as adults. I usually see them as late adolescents who just kind of shut down and dislocate themselves. If, um, usually they're basement dwellers. Um, somehow they take themselves out of reality and any exposure to anxiety. And are these normally clients,
0: people that, um, you think also have, um, pretty complex trauma?
1: No. No? No. Interesting. Uh, And so that's why I I can say the majority of us, the vast majority of us, we know anxiety because we use it like our fuel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then there's some, and, and it has to do with, I think, this is not research, just anecdotal. I think it might have to do something with how the personality is formed. Uh, which is a complicated conversation, and their ADHD.
0: What What does that mean? And, and I know you just said it's complicated. But
1: <laughs> can we simplify it because this is fascinating. I, so a lot of times um, in my work with clients, I work with, um, hey, what's your personality and what is ADHD? And where's the overlapping part? Where the ADHD and your, and your personality kind of gang up against you. And so we kind of, we do that work. And so I tend to see some of my clients with a certain personality style that tend, they don't like, they don't like the anxious feelings. And so they come up with an easy solution. Hey, let's not. And so they will shut down and try to mitigate any anxious feeling. I wish I could do that a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> no, you would be so frustrated with yourself. Oh, really? Because these people don't get enough done. Oh, of course, because we need to be in action and are creative go. to be happy. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Oh, so they're happy in their kind of homeostasis point. You have developed your anxiety for a reason, and and the reason is again, I'm not promoting. Hey, everyone, use anxiety. I'm just saying. <laughs> We developed it as a coping mechanism.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're highly intelligent. You have a lot of energy and you're like, huh, now what's my gasoline? Oh, I know. Let's pour some anxiety in. And that's how you get stuff done. Again, not promoting that lifestyle. (laughs) That's exhausting. So do you think that,
0: I mean, neurotypicals must use anxiety too, or no,
1: they don't, they don't need to. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I talked with a neurotypical mother, and she's such a good woman. She's mm-hmm. so smart and intelligent. She can't quite understand why her daughter just is anxious about something instead of just doing it. And that's because that back to that prefrontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex, the butler says, hey, how about we just do this? And the neurotypical, without even aware, being aware of that conversation, goes, you know, that's probably a good idea, Butler. Thank you. Meanwhile, we're, we don't have that. And so we look at the screaming neighbor and the screaming neighbor is making us feel anxious. And so we're like, well, I guess I'll listen to that neighbor. Fascinating.
0: Okay. I want to know about climbing the ladder. What is that? Can you explain that to us? Since, you know, we're on emotion.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, all right. Truth be told, as soon as I turned in the manuscript, I thought of seven different ways to rewrite the book, right? As a true ADHD person, I'm like, ah, oh. there's part of me that wishes I would have moved that chapter earlier in the book. And so, what we're talking about here is the emotional health ladder. And what happens is, ADHD folks, we tend not to be very self-aware of some of our behaviors. We think we're self-aware, but, you know, self-awareness occurs largely in the prefrontal cortex, a little bit in the DMN, but the immediate awareness occurs um, in places that we don't have great access to. And so if we can, if we can kind of teach ourselves what behaviors to use, And we can can become emotionally healthier and more stable in our responses. So um, there's levels to emotional health. And at the lowest level, we are just thrashing about in that emotional pool. And we don't care who comes into the pool with us because they probably deserved it anyway.
0: So can I ask, all these different rungs of the ladder are we all in them like throughout the day? Yes. Obviously we're not going to be in all of them, but can it change throughout the day? Yes.
1: So let's say I might start out, I might start out my day, you know what, had a pretty good night's sleep. I'm feeling okay. I actually might start up towards the top of my ladder, which is fantastic. But you know what? On the way to work, I spilled my tea down the front of me And that's because a deer ran out in front of me. And now I'm going to be late and there's traffic. The traffic lights are out. I get to work. And guess what? I'm climbing down my ladder of emotional health. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of ticked. Not at anyone in particular. The deer, maybe. But I'm just kind of ticked. And so I'm stomping up the stairs to my office in a little bit of a pissy mood. And, and that's what happens to those of us with ADHD. And so at that moment, I've trained myself and I talk with my clients about, about, say, where am I on the ladder right now? And then I often say to myself, oof, Tamara, you fell down a couple rungs. How can we get back up the ladder? And so if I can catch it, now, I'm, I'm just going to be really honest. There's sometimes I'm in one of those moods. And I'm like, darn it, it just feels good. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Yeah. And, and I'm just sitting, sitting waiting for something. So it's not even reality, right? Sometimes it, that just feels really good. But that's not who I want to be as a human. And I, in fact, I want to be kind. And I want to be loving to people. And I can't really do that if I'm on the I hate you rung right? So what I'm trying to do is I take a deep breath and I think, which rung am I on? Well, how could I just move up one rung in the ladder? And sometimes just by asking that question, I can move up the ladder. So
0: this really is a way for you to pause and to become, I, I guess... Aware, like to be curious, right? So yes. that you can kind of stop the well, what we were talking about before, you know the emotion bubbling up, you're kind right. of tamping it back down.
1: Well, not Hopefully. tamping it down.
0: that's right. We're not supposed to do that with. <laughs> well, and I'm not
1: trying to be nitpicky. Uh, it's just um, I get it. Just to kind of own it, like, wow, I'm sitting in the dentist waiting room hating people. What is that about, Tamara? And that's the curiosity you mentioned. And then, you know, what would it look like if I, and sometimes, okay, true story. I was just at the dentist and this may or may not have ha- just happened. Um, and I just thought, Tamron, how about you straighten up your back, take a deep breath in and let it out and just smile at someone. And I'm like, oh, oh, look at, you. Look at her. She's climbing the ladder. She's doing it. I, by the way, I always had these cartoon going on in my head. Right.
0: Well, and you're making yourself laugh, right? So you're just kind of putting that, I don't know, just what am I trying to say? Just making it stop, right?
1: I I do. In fact, humor is a way I disarm myself all the time. Because if I can laugh at myself, it's going to be okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. Before I let you go,
0: I forgot. I just kind of went off on, you know, my ADHD tangent. I want you to tell the story about the monster spray. Oh, right. Oh my God, it's so cute. Back to the monsters, yeah. And I know parents will listen to this and they will be able to use it. I wish I knew it when I had small children. Uh,
1: So this happened uh, before COVID. I used to go to a few pediatric offices and meet with parents. And sometimes the parents would bring their children in. And so uh, I was... And and I don't know anything about them. I don't see their chart. So I have to take information very quickly. And so in walks this beautiful little golden haired girl with impossibly big brown eyes. And she kind of moves in and she eyes me very suspiciously. Like, I don't know who you are, lady. I'm like, that's okay. I don't know who you are either. And the mom sits down because the mom doesn't have ADHD. (laughs) And the mom's just kind of normal. And the girl's just sizing me up and the mom says hey we we have a big problem and she starts to explain that this you know otherwise very smart uh little girl is all of a sudden wetting her pants, refusing to go to bed, um a lot of the basics. And so, you know, I did my due diligence asking about trauma, any suspicions of anything. And Then I realized that the girl who was viewing me so suspiciously, she's afraid. And so I turned and I said, so can you tell me what you're afraid of? And she looked and she said, monsters. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. And I said to her, I have had a monster problem too. And I told her a couple of my monster problems and they're very similar to your, um, oh, Merriweather? Weather? Yes. <laughs> uh, except, you know, she was a little kid, so I didn't want to scar her with that right. kind of stuff. So I just said, you know, when I was little, I was pretty sure something was under my bed. And so I would just run and jump into bed because I did not want to know what's under there. And she just looked at me and nodded like, yeah. I'm like, and I, and I said, girl, I get you. We can, we can fix this and I said are you willing to fix this and by the way a note to the parents if the child says no don't try to fix it because she's not willing to fix it and she she did her big eye nod and I said all right so i'm going to give your mom a recipe for, for monster spray and and can you i'll tell you how to use it in just a second but i have to talk to the grown up fortunately the mom was so sharp and so with me Um, Because you know how adults talk when kids are present and we know kids are listening? Yeah. So I called her by her name, Mom. I'm like, Mom, I need you to understand that there's a monster problem. And even though you can't see it, I just need you to know that they're there. And so um, could you make up a special spray? Uh, Fortunately, this mom already had essential oils on hand. (laughs) And so I said I know how to make a monster spray that will keep them away. And so, you know, I gave her the right concoction of pepper peppermint oil and water. <laughs> um and the mom said, "Oh, right. That's like what we use um to keep the spiders away in the basement." And the girl's like, "Oh, yeah, it is." I'm like, "Well, it's really great at keeping spiders away, but it's even better at keeping monsters away." <laughs> And so, um, then I turned to the girl and started to give her instructions. Like, here's what you do. You reach your arm through the door, spray it before you get into the door. (laughs) then there will not be monsters in there. It's fine. And you can take it right into the shower with you. And so you can put your hand out of the shower, spray (laughs) it. And there's no monsters. And this mother, I just, I, I love her so much. She was so with it. That she just kept pace with what I was doing. And so, um, you know, the the young girl was like, okay. I said, do you think you can do this? Yes. I said, okay, here's the problem. Monsters tend to run in families. And you have little siblings. And they're probably afraid of monsters, but they don't know how to talk about it. Can you teach them about this? And she smile the biggest smile like I can I can teach them I'm like so here you have to teach them this and then right before we were going to go she said she said now what if this doesn't work I said oh that's okay we have another recipe so for me it was like there's dark monsters and there's kind of the hairy ones that hide behind things I said I don't know what yours are like but that's what mine are like and so She's like, yeah. I said, that's okay. It's a different spray. I'll give your mom a recipe. A second. And by the way, that's lavender water. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got a phone call the next day on my in my voicemail that said this worked perfectly. She's taking a shower on herself by herself. She went to bed confidently, and the mom said, and I don't really expect that we're going to have any potty accidents anymore. Because she's not afraid to go into the bathroom, and so um, that is amazing well, it worked because i I didn't shut down the child's divergent thinking. I took it for real, and that's what we do with adults too right it, it's a real fear for them it's a real- real fear that you're going to lose your husband, and so if I just said, "Stop doing that, you wouldn't. You're like, okay, cool. I'll just shut that down. Well, that's, that's not how any of this works. Gets bigger, right? <laughs> it just gets bigger and scarier. But if I said, um, oh, that's, that's horrible, but it does mean that you really love him. Are you expressing how much you love him? And then all of a sudden, now you can do something with this. Feeling. Okay, now you're just making me feel guilty. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. Didn't mean to meddle here. But that's like the monster spray for grownups. Yeah, that's so interesting. So did this work? Stop it. Did
0: this work? Because you got her to name it, you got her to talk about it, and then you got her into action so she felt like she was part of the solution. Why did this
1: work? Is yeah. that why? Yeah. So when our divergent thinking takes over and creates these vivid monsters, uh, we're stuck in the divergent thinking. And so Sometimes it, it takes power over us. And so what I especially want to do with children, and children are easier to do it with uh, because they'll engage us, um, is to give them power and they, to do something about it. So we know that we can't control everything in life. But for this child, she could control um, spraying before she got into the room. Yeah, and so do you think
0: that's the default mode network versus the task-positive network? So you're, you know, you're you're in that imagination, the default mode network, and the way you pop out is you get into action, right? Some kind of action. Is that what's going on here?
1: Yeah. Uh, So it 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 is the DMN, and uh, when we, especially with children, use our imaginations to solve problems, our kids are brilliant. And so notice that, you know, her eyes lit up when I said, can you help your brothers with this? And she's like, yes, I'm a big sister. I can certainly help them with their monster problem. Mm. She has a job alone, right? Right. Now she has a job to do. And so this isn't just about her being in a vulnerable state. Now she can take leadership over it. Um, I work with parents all the time and I try to get parents to walk beside their children and and stop doing things to them, but walk beside, be curious but but then let the child problem solve, and put the child back in charge of it. Mhm Well, um, I
0: guess that I'm going to have to make some Mary weather spray <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i I need to tell you, uh my husband's traveling uh right now. And oh, we God. have, I think we have so many doors and I catch myself going by and I'm like, Tamara, you know, you've locked that. Yeah. Like, please, you're oh. fine. And it, and, and, you know, it's just because my vivid imagination goes, well, you know, um, which is why I stick to BBC shows. They're pretty harmless. Um, well, no, there are some darker BBC shows. I stay away from those though. Um, but But I keep checking the doors because of my vivid imagination. What if this were to happen? And I'm not normally the person who's afraid of a lot. But my brain's picking up a difference. Like, oh, this is different. We're probably afraid of this difference. You
0: know, that is so interesting because, yeah, I consider myself a fearless person, you know, starting a business, jumping in here, no problem. But then this
1: stupid stuff. (laughs) It's always (laughs) the stupid stuff. Always the stupid stuff.
0: That's not even real. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, practically, I can
1: say that. But still, it's still there. Can I tell you? um, Yeah. (laughs) My family teases me about this. Um, I have a plan. The one one of the ways I cope with my disastrous imagination is to create a plan. So if something happened, and if you know me, you know I love my husband and children so much. And I love our family. We have something so precious. Um and and all of my children are, you know, 19 to 20 or to well almost 30. She's getting old. But um so so they're grown, right? But I know if something horrible were to happen and wiped out all of them, I would move to an elephant farm. And one time, you know, we're ADHD family. So we talk about these things. I said, oh, yeah, I have a I know what I would do. I would move to an elephant refuge. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I would be so sad. Elephants are incredibly noble creatures and they would feel my sadness, but they'd still be okay with me. And oh so I have it all worked out to go to my elephant place. Um, not really, guys, I, not literally, but in my head, it's my monster spray. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what I would do. And my kids even like, oh, that's okay, mom. We have our own version of this. If you died before we were 18, we were going to get your name, your the, how you sign your name tattooed on our arm. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, creative. yeah, I get we're kind of morbid, but this is how our little ADHD brains are trying to deal with what would happen if, oh, and by the way, I'm too old for that now. So th- I, I'd have to die within a certain age range to oh, get the tattoo. Geez. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, there's oh. rules with my kids.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So they're not getting tattoos with your name on it, I no, guess. I,
1: <laughs> nope. Uh, they're like, sorry, mom, it had to be a couple years ago. You, you made it too long. Um, I'm like, that's great to know, honey. Oh, my um, God. But, you know, that's exactly, I mean, that's humor again in our family. Just kind of popping up. We kind of joke about this stuff, even though we're really not joking. Exactly. No, I,
0: you know, I had a bulldog. It was my son's bulldog. He got when he was, se- he got him when he was seven. His name was Buster. And he, a couple of years ago, he came at me and attacked me oh. and really ripped up my foot. I was in wound oh. care for like three months. And so we had to put him down and it was literally, so it, I think it'll be two years. Uh, this right around now, it was right before Thanksgiving and so we had this poor dog around, cause I'm looking at him and I'm going, there's no way my son has his friends here and he's, he's, he got old. He got like dementia or something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Doggy dementia. And, um, there was no way I was going to have this dog around other people because I just, he was no longer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we knew we were going to have to put him down and it was right before Thanksgiving. I'm repeating myself. And, um, so we had him for about almost a week. And literally every day, like I'd look at him and I'd be like, Buster, and I would put my hand out, you are dead to me. And I, you know, and my kids were like, mom, that is not funny. And I'm like, well, (laughs) that's how I'm doing it.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's how, okay. So talking about the DMN, whenever Mm -hmm. we go to humor as a coping mechanism, we're getting it out of the limbic system. And we're Ah. saying, Hey, I can hold it this way. I can hold this sadness in this way.
0: Wow. Okay. So humor gets us in that area that is below the limbic system or, or does it get us more into the prefrontal cortex? What part of the brain well, is that? The
1: DMN is kind of located right behind the prefrontal cortex. So it's almost, but not close. Okay. To the okay. And so,
0: so when we use humor, where does it get that thought? Yeah, in our uh, brain.
1: Yep. where does it move it to? It it moves it from the limbic center from that fight okay. or flight, right, right, to this imaginative <laughs> place, okay, where we can hold it.
0: Okay. And have so you ever heard? Yeah. Com-
1: yeah. Have you ever heard comedians? Um, they say like really tragic things sometimes. Yes. And you're like, "Holy cow, that's totally. raw." But we're laughing. But we're laughing, and what's wrong with me? And it's because they're taking it out of the limbic. They're taking wow. the rawness out of it. And they're they're kind of saying, let me find something funny about this.
0: Um, you know, we... Go ahead. We were, we were just in LA, and um, we went to... I don't know what the comedy place is down there. Um, I know there's many, but it was the main one. And it was the guy from Jerry Maguire, the blonde guy, Jay Moore. He mm-hmm. was like, I, I think he was the bad agent. Yes. Yep. And I, I had no idea what had happened to you know in his life since then. And so he gets up there and he's funny as all hell. I mean, the man is brilliant. And you know, it just starts getting more and more morbid. And then he finally tells us, "Yeah, well, I just got out of rehab." Right. <laughs> you know, and we're all just depressed. But what he's saying is so friggin' funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it that's just my example of actually seeing it in action. I mean, he Mm -hmm. took his life and he's telling funny stories about it because that's probably how he copes. Right. And and
1: that's actually a great coping mechanism. Um, and it's, it's because you're, you're taking, it's actually probably part of his healing process. Yeah. Um, and when we are laughing, aren't we increasing our dopamine? Uh, it is. And, and so in those, uh, for those of us with ADHD, by the way, many, many comedians have ADHD. I'll listen yes. to comedians and go, yeah, there he is.
0: Totally. I see my
1: ADHD friend there. Um, but whenever we're doing that, um, our pleasure center is activated. And so it's actually, we're releasing not only dopamine, but other good feeling chemicals. Ah. And so it, it is a hack um, to make ourselves laugh. Um, I was surprised that people found my book funny. Um, I wasn't trying to be funny, but then I realized this is just what goes on on in my head all the time. I guess other people think that's funny. I just call it life, right? Yes, absolutely. If I were trying to be funny, I promise you I wouldn't be funny. It would just be it fall flat, right? But if I tell you the conversations that go on in my head, that's amusing to other people.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. So Tamara, do you have a number one
1: ADHD workaround for us? You know what? I think we were just talking about it. It's seriously get a sense of humor. (laughs) Um,
0: And, you know, is it one of your top like via character strengths is humor?
1: uh, I don't think it is. I believe it or not. I'm I'm a super intense person. Like, People always give me feedback like, oh, you're so intense and type A. I'm like, yeah, if you knew the drunken goat rodeo in my head, you wouldn't be thinking that. You don't seem intense to me. You remind me a lot of myself, to be honest. <laughs> I, and- I so love you, which is the most <laughs> egocentric thing I've said this the whole time. But you are a sister friend because I'm like, oh, I, I get she's she's a driver. Um, and, and we're both drivers, right? Yeah. So so my biggest hack is um, really to imagine uh, different parts of your brain talking to each other and whatever you have to do to get this done. So sometimes um, for me, it's monkeys. I have a whole set of monkeys and they have a conversation. Um, Sometimes they're cartoon monkeys. Sometimes they're stuffed monkeys. I don't know why. But um, other people, they have characters in their head that talk. But when I can kind of hear the different characters playing out in my head, I can kind of relax and go, yeah, okay. All right, monkey. How about you go sit on the couch for a second while we figure this out? Um, And I can have more regulation when I can do that. But it takes a sense of humor Mm -hmm. to be able to do that.
0: So what you're trying to do is basically laugh at yourself so it's less serious, right? Right.
1: (laughs) And reduce that, calm your nervous system, basically. I do, yeah. And if I just tell myself, okay, take a deep breath, I'll I'll be like, no, I don't want to.
0: But uh-huh. if you can
1: say, if I can make a joke, then it's disarming enough that I actually have a second to bring myself um, back to the ladder, up, up the ladder. And so my biggest hack really is humor. Um, I think, I have to tell you, most of the ADHD people I've met in my life are all funny somehow. I mean, it might be that dry wit. It might yep. be. I totally agree. Yeah. Which is why I love my job. Because Ugh. I get to work with funny people. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do and your book and all of that?
1: Yeah. Well, there's two websites. There's my book's web website at... Tamararosier.com. Okay, hold on one
0: second. Oh, yes, I see it here. I just want to make sure we're going to get it in the show notes.
1: Okay. Thank you. And then uh, I'm at the ADHD Center of West Michigan, and that is www.miadhd.com
0: literally, am I ADHD? Yeah.
1: Well, that's clever. (laughs) Thanks. It's also, if you live in Michigan, you know, things start with MI, like that's our abbreviation too. So yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. So do you have any last minute thought that you want to leave us with before we say goodbye?
1: You know what? I love what you do and thanks for making this fun. Oh, well, thank you so
0: much for spending time with us here today. I appreciate it immensely. This was such a fascinating discussion. I truly learned so much about myself just from reading your book. So, thank you. Thank you for that. So, anyway, that's what we have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Dr. Rozier, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smart Ass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.